It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Geraldo Rivera. I'm Emily Campagno. And I'm Eric Sean. This is a Fox News Rundown. Thursday, August 4th, 2022. I'm Dana Perino. Americans experiencing mental health emergencies can now dial 988 and reach the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. One of the congressmen responsible says this number will become a life-saving tool. If you can get help in that key moment when you're right on the edge, then you'll probably survive. And so this is going to save a lot of lives just because people know the number. Alisa Brady. More clues for both parties on how to get out the vote this fall. But a lot can happen between now and then. The inflation numbers are going to change. The economy numbers are going to change. What the Democrats and the Republicans will be offering to the public is going to change. Um, so it's it's too early to call any election in November. And I'm Joe Concha. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. America is grappling with a mental health crisis that has been intensifying since the pandemic began in 2020, with one study finding that one in five adults and one in six children grapple with mental illness in the United States. Back in June, President Biden highlighted how youth especially have been impacted. There's a serious youth mental health crisis in this country. We have to do something about it. Americans' calls for action on this issue has been met with bipartisan support in Congress, with one major change occurring in July, the launch of a three-digit mental health hotline. Speaking on the House floor in 2020, Congressman Chris Stewart of Utah highlighted the issues with the current system. If you are in the middle of a mental health crisis, you need to know who to call. But the problem is no one knows the number. And the second problem is the number is different. If you're calling in Salt Lake City, it's a different number than if you're calling in New York or if you're calling from California or even another part of Utah. The National Suicide Hotline Designation Act was passed in 2020. And after two years of planning, the 988 line went live this past July. Now, Americans experiencing a mental health crisis can dial those three digits and be connected with trained crisis counselors to aid them and fast. One administrator for the 988 call center explains. 988, the the national standard is six rings or 30 seconds. With health officials predicting that 988 call centers could be overwhelmed by demand, the hotline is being backed by over $400 million in federal funding. One of the bill's co-sponsors says this is long overdue. When you run for office, everyone asks, okay, what's the skeleton in your closet? And for me, it was mental health. Democratic Congressman Seth Moulton represents Massachusetts 6th Congressional District. The big secret was that after four tours in the Marine Infantry in Iraq, I had post-traumatic stress. And even worse, from a political perspective, I actually got help for it. I went and saw a therapist and got better. But of course, throughout American history, this has been used against politicians, even though we know some of the greatest American leaders like Abraham Lincoln had mental health issues. He suffered from depression his entire life. If you read what George H.W. Bush and John F. Kennedy wrote, Mm -hmm. they almost certainly had post-traumatic stress as well. But I kept this hidden until some young Marines that I served with convinced me to share my story. I followed their example in talking about mental health because I realized with them that it would help, first of all, just other Marines to say, yeah, I dealt with this too. 
but I dealt with it. I got help and now I'm doing fine. So when I decided to share this story publicly a few years ago as a member of Congress, I didn't know if it might end my career the next day. But instead, it really launched me on this crusade to improve mental health care in America. And I realized, my team and I realized early on that there are two fundamental problems with mental health care. One, people just don't even know where to turn for help. No one can remember the National Suicide Hotline or even know it exists. 988 obviously changes that because everyone will now remember 988. But the second problem is that even people who know how to get help often don't do so because they're afraid of the stigma. They're embarrassed. They don't want to admit they have a mental health issue. It's just so different than spraining an ankle. No one's afraid to talk about a sprained ankle and go to the doctor for help. But with mental health, it's different. It shouldn't be, but it is. And so what's been most amazing about this 988 rollout is that by having conversations like this, like the one we're having right now, we're helping to chip away at this stigma because more people are talking about mental health. And tell me a little bit about what you saw or knew to be the deficiencies of the previous suicide hotline number. So people didn't know what it was. They couldn't remember it in a moment of crisis. And think about the numbers here. Over 45,000 Americans die every year by suicide every one of them alone, and all because they just don't know where to turn in that moment of crisis. One of the most remarkable statistics is actually the fact that of people who attempt suicide but don't succeed, if they get help, they don't try it again. They regret it. They don't want to follow through. So the point is, if you can get help in that key moment when you're right on the edge, then you'll probably survive. And so this is going to save a lot of lives just because people know the number. I was speaking at a boys and girls club in Wakefield, Massachusetts with all teenagers. And this is only two weeks into introducing this hotline. I asked this group, does anyone know about the new mental health hotline? And this 14-year-old girl said, oh, 988. I was like, that is a win because no one, I mean, the, the suicide hotline has been a, the regular, the old fashioned 800 number has been around for, I don't know, 20 years or something. No one could remember what it is, but people will remember 988. And who are the people that answer the calls? Great question. They're these amazing professionals, many of them volunteers, but all professionally trained who just know how to talk people through these moments of crisis. And they have a remarkable track record of success. One of the important things for people to know, this was really important to the kids I was speaking to in Wakefield is they're not going to report you. They're not going to call your parents if you're young. They're not going to call the police if you're old. They're not going to put you on some list of people with mental health issues. They're just going to talk you through this crisis. There are, in, I guess, to the caveat is that in some states and certain extreme circumstances, they have the capability to call the police. But this is not a way to get in trouble. This is a way to get help. And so how will this is one of the questions that you and I talked about earlier in the summer, and I've been thinking about it a lot, which is because the numbers are so high of how many people are committing suicide, how will supply keep up with demand in terms of therapists? And what's the next step? So let's say you get through, you get some immediate help, and then your, your problems aren't solved. You need additional therapy. Is there a way to help people from the initial call to the hotline? Yeah, this is, this is a great question, Dana, because obviously the whole point here is 
to get more people access to help, right? And it's already working. In the very first week, we saw calls increase 45%, 45% more calls to 988 than to the old hotline. So yeah, okay, so how do we handle this volume? Well, first of all, we've dramatically increased federal funding to the states to hire more people. About an 18-fold increase this year compared to last year resources to the states that run these individual call centers to be able to handle the volume. But the longer term question, which you've asked as well is, okay, you get through this crisis, you need therapy. You know, just like if you have a broken leg, you go to the emergency room, you get patched up. Okay. But you're going to need to see a doctor down the road. Well, that's a longer term problem. And we have a lot of work to do. It's very hard. I can tell you from experience, it's hard to get a therapy appointment right now. But the important thing to know about this hotline is that if you can get through this crisis moment, you're probably going to be okay. So we have a little bit of time to make sure you can see a therapist, you can get a regular mental health appointment. Now, my vision is that mental health becomes as routine as physical health. Just like getting an annual physical, you get an annual mental health checkup. And we can get there. We can get it to be that routine so that I mean, look, because if I said, hey, by the way, I had my physical today, Dana, you wouldn't say, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with you? You would just say, well, no, of course, you have an annual physical like everybody else. Doesn't mean you're sick. You just get checked up, right? If I told you after this podcast, I'm going to a mental health appointment, you might think, oh, geez, Seth, is everything okay? What's wrong? That's what we have to change. And that's going to take a lot more therapists to just be available to do regular check-ins with people. How do we get there? We need more incentives to go into mental health. We need better insurance coverage and reimbursement so that people can actually make money as mental health therapists. These are bigger policy, healthcare policy uh, issues that we have to address. And I know the Mental Health Caucus in Congress that I'm a part of is, is working on these things. But there's more work to do here for sure. So all of this is an incredible accomplishment and it's going to save lives. As you said, it's going to open up opportunities, perhaps for people who are looking for a career in helping others. And maybe this will be the career path that they choose. And just to switch gears before we end here, I'm curious about what you learned in terms of working together with a, in a bipartisan way to get something done. And could the process that you worked, could that be replicated for other issues where maybe there's a little bit more controversy? Well, I'll tell you, I, I've replicated it a few times already. And, and here's my simple formula, which isn't always going to work, but it's find someone reasonable across the aisle who you can work with on an issue that you both care about. And the, the people I usually turn to first are fellow veterans because fellow veterans have the experience of putting aside whatever the politics of the moment are and doing the right thing for the country. Because no one ever talks about politics in the middle of Afghanistan or Iraq or in the South China Sea. We do the mission. And that's exactly what I found with Chris Stewart. I mean, look, it's easy for Chris Stewart and I to find places where we disagree. He's a conservative Republican from Utah. I mean, first of all, he's an Air Force vet. How often do an Air Force guy and a Marine work together, right? I mean, if you have any history in the military, you know there's a great service rivalry. But let me tell you, pilots like Chris Stewart had my back when I was on the ground in Iraq. There were numerous times where they saved my life. 
So I know what it means to work with someone from a different perspective, from a different background. And that's exactly what we did. We both understand mental health because we're both veterans. We both have friends, colleagues, people we love who are going through these issues and we know they deserve help. Will you keep us posted on the stories that you hear? I love the one about the Boys and Girls Club, but there's sure to be other stories that you get. And um, Fox News is committed to this issue as well, mental health. And we'd love to keep everyone posted about 988 and one of the success stories and also anything else that people can do to try to help. I will. You know, it's amazing how many people have come up to me all over the country and just said, you know, Seth, I heard you talk about post-traumatic stress. And if you can share that story, I decided I'm going to share mine or I'm going to get help. I mean, I have a few close friends who I had no idea were dealing with mental health issues and have shared those stories with me now because now they feel comfortable talking about it. And that's where we've got to get as a country. Don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. Know that by dealing with mental health, you're going to make your own life better. And by talking about mental health, you just might save someone else's life too. Quite a message. Thank you, Congressman. Great to have you. All right. Thanks, Dina. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. This is Joe Concha with your Fox News commentary coming up. Now that we're in August, the midterm elections are getting closer fast, with campaigns preparing to kick into another gear. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy plans to stump for Republican candidates across the country, with dozens of campaign events planned. This is the take back the House. This isn't about Republicans winning. This is about a new direction for America, right? We're going to lay out our plan to show our commitment to America of what we'll do. He says that includes energy independence, police funding, border security, and a parent's bill of rights. While President Biden has repeatedly called inflation 
abortion a top priority. He's seizing on what happened Tuesday in Kansas, a red state voting against a ballot measure that could have led to an abortion ban by stripping abortion protections out of the state constitution. Voters made it clear that politicians should not interfere with the fundamental rights of women. It was the first test of abortion as a voting issue after the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe versus Wade. And turnout was much higher than normal for a primary election day in Kansas. It is a red flag for sure. Um, at the same time, let's remember, the wind is at the Republicans' back. Arnon Mishkin is director of the Fox News Decision Desk. What's going on in the economy with the fact that the Democrats are in, in control of the White House in both parts of Congress, this is a Republican year. And this is a year when if you're running for office, you'd rather have an R by your name than a D by your name. On the other hand, there are a few red flags and abortion is a big red flag. On Tuesday, the uh, abortion amendment uh, to the Kansas Constitution went down 60 by 60 to 40. Um, So by a big margin in a very conservative state um, where they were opposed to having very strict pro-life abortion restrictions. On the other hand, it's not going to be that big. Um, but it's a warning flag. And, you know, in, in the case of the House of Representatives, even if all this does, the abortion issue does, is swing 1% of the voters from one side to the other, that's really important um, because of the number of House seats that are sort of at the margin, uh, you know, the suburban uh, white women in particular that are appear to be very concerned about this and that this could be a hazardous issue for the Republicans. And the Republicans need to figure out how to manage this issue in a way that um, allows them to sort of soft pedal the issue with some voters while also animating the base, which is, you know, highly pro, strongly pro-life and which, you know, wants the Republicans to do something more than just get rid of Roe versus Wade. In Kansas, though, how much does it matter that the question was framed so simply, in essence, yes or no on a ban? Uh, it matters a bit. And, and again, it was a 20-point margin in Kansas. It's not going to be, that's not real life. Or that's not going to be what, you know, it was a 20-point margin with a measure on the ballot that people went out and voted yay or nay on. And so it's not going to be that important. And yes, the way it was uh, worded was a little tricky. It was worded in such a way that the pro-choice side voted no. And ballot measures always no has an advantage um, for whatever reason. And so it, that, that has a – so as I'm saying, it's, it's not a 20-point um, issue for the Democrats, but it could be a one- or two-point issue for the Democrats. How different is it when people are choosing candidates instead of just voting on a ballot measure? Because, you know, that maybe could make abortion less of a mobilizing issue when it's attached, when it's an issue attached to a candidate instead of a standalone issue. Exactly. I mean, I think that here's the interesting thing about abortion. It is a very complicated question. And if you know five people, you will know five different positions on abortion. And historically, in the era of Roe versus Wade, uh, the pro-life side was able to get an advantage because they fought on the on the side of, you know, third trimester abortions, partial birth abortions and stuff, which are highly unpopular. Um, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the issue now moves to the first trimester and it moves to questions of are there any exceptions and the like. And, and that sort of is a much more popular position for the um, uh, for the pro-choice side. 
But people can be, you know, people can express their views in very gray ways. And it's an opportunity for a candidate to demonstrate that they understand the complexity of the abortion issue and are not simply boxed into one extreme or the other. Would you still expect other issues to be more motivating, for instance, inflation, gas prices, um, you know, and are Democrats wrong to assume that these voters are Democrats? The Democrats are absolutely wrong to assume. I mean, look, if the Democrats think 60 percent of Kansas is voting for them, I have a bridge to sell them. Okay, (laughs) that's not going to happen. Kansas is still a red state and abortion is not the most important issue for most voters. It is an important issue for many voters, um, particularly women. And but it's I mean, in all the polling, you see that abortion is, I think, the most important issue to eight percent of the public um, now and even more amongst women, a little less amongst men. Um, The biggest issues this year are inflation, the economy, inflation, the economy. Uh, Those are the four biggest issues. And the (laughs) and that is why the Republicans have an advantage. But there are these issues on the side that are going to hurt them with some voters. And um, so the Republicans need to figure out how to. Focus on the center ring, which is inflation and the economy, while also addressing the concerns or soft peddling the concerns that many voters have about abortion. It sounds like you maybe would agree with something that Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell has said. He thinks it's way too early for anyone to be assuming they'll have a great election or a disaster this fall. We are less than 100 days out, though. We're less than 100 days out, but, you know, 97, 96 days can be a lifetime. And he's absolutely right. Things are going to change. The inflation numbers are going to change. The economy numbers are going to change. What the Democrats and the Republicans will be offering to the public is going to change. Um, so it's it's too early to call any election in November, but it is not too early to focus on, you know, sort of issues that appear to be of the concerns of the public and make sure um, if you're whatever side you're on is addressing those issues effectively. Depending on the poll, the president's numbers keep going down, um, his approval rating dipping into the lower into the 30s. Um, Democrats as a party, though, appear to be faring better on the generic congressional ballot lately, which Democrats and liberal pundits are using to make a case that maybe they'll overperform expectations this fall. When it comes down to a specific district, though, you know, how relevant is a generic national poll? It's in, in, in recent elections, it's more and more relevant that people don't know who their congressperson is often. And so they're voting on sort of their attitudes towards the public. In the Senate and gubernatorial races, the personality, the candidate themselves is is much more important. Um, And so the generic ballot is important. The challenge for the Democrats is they have a president who's highly unpopular. And historically, midterm elections are referendum on the in-party, which in this case is the Biden party. The one thing about Joe Biden you know, uh, Donald Trump used to call him Sleepy Joe. I think he still does. Um, and there's an advantage in that for the Democrats, which is, you know, people don't either love or hate Joe Biden the way they loved or and hated Donald Trump and loved and hated Barack Obama. He's not that he's sort of he's a much smaller figure in terms of the national psyche. I don't see people going out to the polls and saying, I'm going to go support uh, Joe Biden or I'm going to go, I have to go hate Joe Biden. Um, And so that is an opportunity for the Democrats to sort of separate the, um, and 
their, their congressional candidates from the president and make people think just about the, the, the candidates themselves or the, the Democratic Party themselves, which is helpful. Um, but it's also a threat to the Democrats because they don't have uh, a motivator to get out the polls the way, you know, Donald Trump has been a major motivator for the Republican Party. Democrats have been emphasizing candidate quality quite a bit. In the Arizona Senate race, Blake Masters wins, but in Missouri, Eric Greitens loses. Both of those Republicans were considered to have baggage. Is quality uh, of candidate, you know, a relative term depending on the voter and the state and the issues? Yes. And I think that one of the challenges the Republicans have going into November is that in many of the Senate races, They've nominated candidates that so far have shown some weakness on the campaign trail. Um, and so and there are a number of candidates and and Mitch McConnell, who I continue to believe is the shrewdest man in Washington, <laughs> said the Republicans are going to have a great year unless we nominate weak candidates. And I think that he's somewhat disappointed. Um, I don't know. I can't speak for him, but I think it is some of the candidates demonstrate certain challenges. Um, but, you know, there's a 96, 97 days left before the election. A lot of them are going to sort of get their uh, sea legs, <laughs> but they do need to go to school quickly. <laughs> the primaries are also considered always um, another test of the former president's endorsement power. Two Republican members of Congress who voted for impeachment appear to have survived Trump-backed challenges in Washington state, but a third, Michigan Congressman Peter Meyer, a freshman, lost to John Gibbs, who not only has Trump's support, but uh, along with Trump, believes the 2020 election was stolen. Democrats spent significant money, Democrats did, on the Gibbs campaign, thinking he'd be more beatable in the fall. How much of a factor do you think that was in that race? Uh, you know, someone asked me about that, and I, I, I said, I can understand it's good politics. It's bad government to sort of, you know, if you're trying to run against someone and say these people are against democracy, while on the other hand, you're under the table trying to help that candidate win a primary. Um, you know, it, it sort of makes you one question, um, how honest are you being when you say these people are opposed to democracy? They're opposed to democracy and you want them on the general election ballot? Um, so it's a little – I would argue it's a little odd. I don't know how, how big an, a factor it was. I think people knew um, Peter Mayer, who he was. Um, so I don't know how important it was. But it certainly wasn't helpful to, A, the Democratic case that they're for democracy and the other guys are not. Or, B, um, their belief that, you know, the problem with the Republicans is they don't have any serious candidates who support democracy. Well, here you had – Case A of a perfect candidate who was supporting democracy, even though he was a conservative and a Republican, and you still tried to go after him. They're doing this in other races, too, with campaign funding. Um, are voters following that issue of cross-party spending, though? Um, and, you know, if it backfires and more Trump backers end up getting elected, is it, you know, a less risky strategy for Democrats if voters weren't paying attention to it? <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I mean, historically, voters don't really care about that inside baseball stuff that you and I care about. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's not clear how it's going to play. But I do think it makes it a lot harder for the Democrats to make the case that they're the party for democracy and the Republicans are the party against democracy, which is what they're trying to say. Arnon Mishkin, director of the Fox News Decision Desk. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Joe Concha. What's on your mind? With polls for President Biden... New York Times, Quinnipiac, at 33 and 31 percent approval, respectively. The Democratic Party knows the 46th president is not the horse to ride to victory in 2024. Hey, how bad is it? CNN poll. Yeah, CNN finds 75 percent of Democrats don't want Joe Biden to run for a second act. So with Kamala Harris no longer an option, one would think, and Pete Buttigieg having that whole supply chain thing on his resume, And the world not quite ready for Cory Booker or Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, Amy Klobuchar, the all not so greatest hits from 2020. The Democratic Party turns its eyes to California Governor Gavin Newsom. Hey, he's a relatively young guy, great hair, but what's his record there? Well, for starters, California has the highest income tax rate of any state in the country. That's nice. It also has the highest poverty rate in the country. There's currently a mass exodus happening from cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco, not seen since biblical times. And overall, it ranks, checks notes, the 48th best state to live in. For contrast, Ron DeSantis's Florida is ranked in the top 10. So if Democrats want to roll the dice on Gavin Newsom, go ahead and take your chances. Because if the bumper sticker is, I'll do for America what I did for California, that's not exactly what one would call a winning slogan. I'm Joe Concha. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Did you hear the news? Now you can. With instant updates from Fox News for Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play news from Fox. In Fox News. It's the latest when you need it on demand from Fox News and Amazon Alexa. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.